Welcome to America's Commercial Real Estate Show, your source for market intel, forecasts, and strategies. Hello, I'm Michael Bull. Thank you for being with us. This segment is brought to you by Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Visit bullrealty.com. Well, we have an exciting show for you today. As usual, today we're going to talk about multifamily, and that's certainly been a sector that's really been on fire for a long time. What should we expect moving forward? Are we, are, are we building too much? There's a lot of cranes for Class A. And what do we expect for affordability? What do we expect for the performance moving forward? Please welcome my first guest. It's Carl Whitaker. He's manager of market analytics with RealPage, and he's joining us on the phone. Carl, thanks for joining us again, sir. Thank you, Michael. Appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. Well, Carl, when you look at performance of multifamily overall, wow, it's, it's been really an incredible story for, it seems like, many years, and it seems like it, it keeps going and going like the Energizer Bunny. You know, as you guys look closely at the market, what are you seeing? Yeah, you know, it, it really is impressive, and I think it's, you know, there's, there's two sides to the equation. Obviously, construction levels, you know, you said it there in the lead that there's plenty of cranes up in, in skylines across the nation and suburban areas, but, you know, what's really underpinning the, the strong performance right now or what's really driving that is just there's a lot of demand out there. And if you look at our annual absorption figures over the past two or three quarters, I mean, they've been at near record highs occupancy here in the third quarter just a little bit above 96.3%, roughly 96.4%. Um, that's about a two-decade high. And rent growth is still, you know, again, looking at it on an annual basis, still in that 3% range or so. So, you know, there's there's certainly no shortage of demand out there sucking up the, uh, the available inventory of apartments. And those numbers of 96.4 occupancy, 3% rent growth, is that for all classes kind of overall or...? Correct. Yeah. So that's looking at our our 150 largest markets that make up the nation, and that's looking across all product classes. Okay. And what do you see uh, for Class A, Carl? That seems like there's been a. Obviously, that's where the new construction is. Yeah, the Class A numbers. You know, it's 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 not atypical to see Class A performance labor a little bit when construction activity is up, but. You know, even though we've seen it trail performance in the B space just a little bit in recent quarters, there hasn't been that much separation across all the product classes. We see annual rent change between A, B, and C, you know, somewhere in that upper 2% to low 3% range. Um, you know, you compare that to 2017 when that Class A performance was a good 50 basis points or so behind those other product classes. So there's certainly a lot of a lot of inventory coming online, but demand has been good in that product class as well. And again, we see that in the occupancy side of the equation too, where it's still above that 95% gold standard um, across all product classes. So I think I think demand for Class A has been very strong as well, especially considering just how many new units are being added to the inventory. Yeah, and B and especially C are probably uh, markets where uh, there are a lot of opportunity for improvements with renovations and, and maybe more professional management. So uh, what, what growth are you seeing there in occupancy? Yeah, absolutely. And we get a lot of questions on the, the value add space as well. Um, 
you know, just kind of working through each of those classes there. Class C performance, a lot of times that's your workforce housing, your, um, you know, your, your more affordable product. And sometimes that, that class's rent growth is capped by um, a couple of constraining factors such as wage growth, um, you know, some, some uh, blue-collar employment levels, just how, how is performance doing in those areas, and then how does that impact um, rent growth and occupancy on Class C. Um, you know, again, we've seen good, sustained economic growth. Wage growth isn't maybe quite as strong as some economists would expect, so we're still seeing Class C performance, again, consistently hovering in that you know, low to mid 3% range, and occupancy is good. There's just not a whole lot of available Class C units out there. Um, when looking at B space, you know, there's a little bit more wiggle room in there. That's kind of your bread and butter um, product segment, you know, across the U.S., and you might see some B properties getting some value add, moving it up to a B plus, perhaps A minus, but a lot of that can differ on a market-by-market market basis as well to where, you know, to to bring a property, to bring a B property up to A standards in a market such as San Francisco or Los Angeles, you know, that takes quite a bit of CapEx, but relative to a San Antonio or, um, you know, a Raleigh-Durham where there's more affordable product, perhaps it doesn't take as much CapEx to bring it up to that same um, class standard. But, you know, again, performance-wise, real consistent across the spectrum, whether it's A, B, or C product. All right, we're talking with Carl Whitaker with RealPage about the multifamily world. And, and Carl, the, the improved numbers and the performance of multifamily year by year, quarter by quarter, uh, does it, it, doing this well this long surprise you any? And then what do you expect moving forward for performance? Yeah, the moving forward questions one we certainly get a lot, and we we actually just finished up our our most recent round of forecasting. So I'll share some thoughts on that here shortly. But um, you know, a lot of people I think have been a little surprised by not only multifamily performance and the strength there, but just how long and sustained the strength of the national economy has been. And of course, with that strong economy, you see that translate into strong uh, multifamily sector performance, good job creation leads to more households being formed. Um, of course, that's a, that's a significant tailwind for the apartment market. There's been a lot of tailwinds on the demographic side of the equation as well for the U.S. apartment market. you still got a lot of folks in that prime renter age cohort. Um, additionally, if you look at some markets that have grown really rapidly, in Austin, for instance, it's still very expensive relative to where it had been to buy a home in these markets. So that keeps a lot of renters in place for longer than uh, what we may have seen historically. So I think to, to answer your question there, it's been a little surprising just to see how long um, performance has been sustained at its current level. But when you start breaking apart the components of it, you, you can see what is fueling that performance, and then it starts to it starts to make a little bit more sense in context. Now, as that relates to our expectations over the next year or so, I think we'll see rent growth and occupancy hover pretty closely around its same level. Um, we may see some construction increases over the next year, or I, perhaps I should say we, we may see some uh, completions increasing over the next year, which might cap performance uh, a little bit, but still, I think we'll see growth, you know, in that 
two and a half to three percent range. Occupancy hover around 95 and a half, 96 percent. So the status quo looks like it'll hold for at least one more year. Yeah, that's excellent. And you mentioned new supply levels. So when you look at new supply level trends, uh, kind of year to year, is new supply tailing off any? Or is it still a lot of a new supply coming online? Yeah, that's a that's, that's it's 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 really a matter of perspective, I suppose, because. While new supply technically has trailed off slightly, here in the third quarter we saw about 250,000 units delivering on an annual basis. It still feels a little almost disingenuous to say that 250,000 is a significant trailing off relative to what we had seen. But again, 250 compared to the peak of roughly 330,000 units delivering at the U.S. level, Again, that does obviously translate into into somewhat of a pullback, but certainly not a significant pullback either. And what do you see, Carl, for student housing and, and the performance there? Yeah, it's consistent as performance has seemed on the conventional side of the market. The student market's been even more consistent. Uh, we actually just wrapped up our year-end, our fall 2019 performance measures. Uh, we saw rent growth for student products right at about 1.6, 1.7%. Uh, we saw a little over 45,000 beds deliver. I believe it was right about 46,000 beds delivering. That's been the same mark for the past five years. So, you know, while student performance isn't necessarily accelerating from recent years, we're just seeing that remarkable consistency, um, which is which is good for operators in that space. Excellent. And uh, so where do you see opportunities, Carl, uh, for new supply or, or value add, or are there certain markets that might have some opportunities? Yeah, and it's, I, I, I don't mean to sound, um, I don't mean to sound like I'm pl placing this too simplistically, but I think one of the biggest things that developers can do is get in front of demand. And what I mean by that is if you can identify the markets that are going to have strong economies for the next you know, three to three to five years, perhaps, or maybe even longer term, next three to ten years. Find the markets where job growth is probably going to remain strong, and I think those are going to be the markets that have continued opportunities. And what comes to mind is, you know, a, a pocket of the country, even though development has been pretty aggressive in recent years. I would look at the Nashvilles, the Raleigh Durham's, the Charlottes, the Atlantas of the U.S. because. You know, again, even though those are the markets that have seen a lot of new inventory, those are some of the markets that are making the top 10 list for annual rent growth here recently. So I think there's a lot of opportunities there. Um, for the value-add space, I think it's good to target areas where the A rents have become so disproportionately larger versus the B rents that maybe you get a little wiggle room there and say, I can lift this rent at this B property up $200, and I'm still not competing with that brand new A product, but at the same time, I'm offering a differentiated product versus that real middle market tier as well. So I would look at some, for the value-add players out there, I would look at those markets where A rents have significantly separated from the class B rents and then see if there's some of that, that uncaptured space there that you could perhaps tap into. Yeah, that's a great tip. Uh, that makes a, makes a lot of sense. Uh, well, Carl, thank you for joining us. Great information as usual, sir. Thanks. Appreciate it.
appreciate it, Michael. Glad to have you. Glad, glad to be on. And if you like more information from uh, RealPage, their website is realpage.com. And and uh, Carl mentioned, uh, you know, looking at markets for value add, where the A rents uh, and the B rents, uh, there's there's more of a spread for opportunity. If you're looking for a heavy lift opportunity, there we have an eight and a half million dollar project that, that needs renovation, where it's in a market exactly like that in the southeast. And if you're looking for, he mentioned Raleigh, Durham, Charlotte, uh, is areas. If you're looking for area for a Class A property, we have something we're going to bring to market uh, probably tomorrow in the eighty-five million dollar range. That's beautiful, brand new Class A gorgeous property so uh, reach out to us if we can help you in any way stay with us we're going to have more on the multifamily market i'm michael bull this is america's commercial real estate show Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease commercial real estate? You're invited to contact Bull Realty for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Call 404-876-1640 or visit bullrealty.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by commercialagentsuccess.com. Check it out for the ultimate and commercial agent training. Today we're talking about multifamily, the apartment industry, and boy, has it been on a roll. Please welcome my next guest. It's Doug Ressler. He's manager of business intelligence with Yardy Matrix, and he's joining us on the phone. Doug, thanks for being with us again, sir. Michael, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Well, Doug, we've seen a lot of cranes. We've seen a lot of new supply. Seems like the multifamily market's been riding high a long time. We've had a cycle here that's a little long tooth. Is multifamily on good footing? Absolutely. Uh, we see the fundamentals of the apartment industry to be compelling investment opportunities. Uh, we don't really see any degradation, if you will, in terms of return, liquidity, cash flow, that type of thing. Uh, in addition, it's a safe type of investment in terms of industry, not only uh, domestically, but also internationally as well. So it's a safe haven in terms of a lot of investment that's going on, and it has great opportunity and has even longer run in terms of the market fundamentals the way we see it right now. So, yeah, we, we're very bullish on it. Yeah, so market expectations moving forward. I think we still can see reasonable rent growth and, and, uh, and, and, and new supply. We see uh, probably over the course of the next two years about a 3%, anywhere between 28 3.5 points uh, in terms of rent growth activity uh, nationally. In some markets, uh, uh, market by market, uh, slight differentiation, like Austin market is on fire right now. It's hot. Uh, that'll probably exceed that. Uh, in terms of development activity, we actually see a uh, slight downturn in terms of development. We see more transaction. Uh, activity that people start adding to their portfolios after careful scrutiny, if you will, uh, to be able to get equity uh, that way, as opposed to taking longer duration. Yeah, and is that uh, to develop? Is that because of higher construction price, or maybe zoning issues, or you know, what? what why would they do less development and more acquisition? That's a great question. We see it right now is there's been a lot of uh, jump to, well, it's cost of construction. You can't find the construction workers. But there's been a couple studies that recently have been published that it's really more about the finite capacity of land and zoning 
that's uh, much more of a preventative uh, than uh, than anything else. Fields are taking longer to develop up from the ground up, no pun intended. Uh, and uh, at the same time, uh, people are looking to increase their financial returns. So uh, my vote right now is I would see it as 60% zoning and, uh, you know, 40% uh, construction cost or lack of construction uh, workers. Wow. Well, that's interesting. That really adds to the barrier of entry for multifamily and, and uh, really does make sense for the, the values of multifamilies to continue to be strong. So, Doug, where do you think there's areas for opportunities? We see areas for opportunity uh, right now, uh, you know, in terms of uh, diverse markets. Uh, the markets aren't linear anymore. They're becoming much more diversity diversified. We just did a combined uh, study with uh, George Washington University, and the whole uh, gist of the study was to look at uh, urbanism, walkable urbanism. Uh, that was the terminology of the paper. And it was in combination with Locust Group, George Washington University, Air Data, that type of thing. Uh, we really think that uh, walkable urbanism, diversity, is really where it's about. We see the advent of gentrification limiting uh, certain development in certain areas. Uh, we also see the technology uh, in terms of various apartments. Uh, I can't even spell AI at times, but what we see is with AI, mechanical <clears throat> learning, that uh, buildings are becoming much more prone to energy cost-saving type of thing. So that being said, uh, people are looking for that kind of development opportunity that will help them cut costs and maintain their revenue line. So, you know, walkable urbanism, diversity, energy in terms of the new uh, dynamic as that's going to really propel, we think, the industry going forward in terms of some of the new nonlinear type of uh, diversification that's gonna, that you're going to see in the industry that you haven't seen before, yeah. at least to the same degree. Yeah, I agree. Uh, last night I talked to a young lady who just looked, went around and looked at apartments, and she rented a $1,750 a month one bedroom. And she was talking to me about the different properties she looked at, and, and she was right in line with what you're saying. It was transportation, um, the mobility, you know, being able to get on a, on a train or MARTA train and subway, move around technology uh, was big to her, um, and then just the kind of the, the look and feel, the cleanliness of, of the project. So, so that really makes a lot of sense. And we found, too, with the George Washington study, most people, when you talk about uh, walkable urbanism, they think central business districts, downtown type of thing. But you can have these clusters uh, in a lot of different places. So Atlanta's particularly good when there's one being developed in the northeast part of town right now. But they don't have to be central business districts. They can be very walkable, uh, and uh, I think that that, uh, that polemic will, will play out. Yeah, and are there certain areas of the country that you see uh, kind of more demand from, from tenants or, or more demand from investors? Uh, yeah, we're, you know, um, what we're seeing right now is, you know, obviously the affordability issue that's, uh, you know, happening in Portland or Oregon in general. Uh, California, New York City, those type of things. Uh, they're putting a lot of stress uh, on the industry in terms of housing solutions uh, that will, you know, be able to provide for investment opportunity as well as uh, renter affordability. So uh, we see smaller apartments. I think San Diego just recently improved uh, the small house uh, zoning where you can, uh, you've seen all the small house shows on 
you know, the TV and whatnot, but they just approved zoning for that in San Diego area as a, you know, a way to um, deal with affordability in the San Diego area, which I thought was interesting. That is. And what about rent control? Are you guys getting a sense that uh, that could impact the market? Well, yes, it will. It's a, it's a larger issue than just the business issue. It's a socioeconomic issue. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, the the situation is such that it is, taking generations to get where we are, and it's going to take generational change, too. But it's going to be a combination of both business uh, policy and economics that are going to, you know, aid to correct it. And uh, it's not going to happen in 12 to 18 months, and it's not going to be necessarily a solution that restricts, uh, you know, rent control in terms of price control. I think that uh, Nixon tried to do that with the price of oil back in the 70s, and it just didn't work uh, because you're artificially... uh, injecting something. Numerous papers have been written for and against it, but at the same time, I think it's going to take a collaborative effort to be able to resolve it. Uh, What we see right now, especially in the area of California, is we don't think that it's going to necessarily impact new development in California, but for the primary uh, type of markets, but it will have impact in terms of when you try and read through the the code, uh, try and do revaluations or repurposing in, you know, secondary markets, tertiary markets within California or that type of um, property, uh, you're going to have to have um, a very sharp pencil. And in addition, the uh, accounting that uh, is required uh, to maintain and monitor uh, whether or not you're adapting or whether you're meeting the rules, is it's, it's really, really uh, extensive. We have a product called Breeze that attempts to uh, focus on that, that says, you know, you're going to have different accounting rules for these uh, type of uh, requirements and obviously cost. Uh, And you really need to uh, make sure that uh, you're in adherence and that when you do the deal that you make sure you've gone through and looked at all the aspects of the deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, rents have really increased a lot faster over the last several years than than wages. is affordability an issue in the industry, or is it not? And does it surprise you that so far it doesn't seem to be an issue on the on these hiring new communities? Absolutely, it's an issue. Uh, I mean, uh, it has really taken over uh, a lot of the the issues that are out there right now. But this is like again, it's generational. When you look at it, the manufacturing we have lost over 18 million uh, manufacturing jobs in the last uh, 38 years. Not only have you lost the jobs, but you've lost that high wage growth uh, that you've had before, but also the peripheral jobs, the ratio of jobs that come with manufacturing. So you become more service-oriented in terms of an economy, which I think everybody recognizes. But at the same time, job growth within service industry is not as dynamic uh, as it is in high-paying jobs, things like that. So, again, you're going to be forced into housing solutions that don't have the wage growth to be able to support uh, luxury type things. We we see people right now in terms of development that are moving away from the luxury market into more of the mid-range market, which is really the sweet spot of where markets are right now. Uh, and so people are looking at bees and development of bees. They're looking at, uh, you know, uh, repurposing and things like that. Yeah, that's interesting. The young lady I mentioned that just chose an apartment, she actually chose a smaller square footage unit, but in the community that had the smallest unit, but it had the most uh, open spaces or shared spaces, and she said that was a deciding factor. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We see that too with more. You know, if you look at the uh, demographics too, the more they actually uh, sequester or tranche the millennials now in terms of uh, earlier millennials, 25 to 30, and then the later millennials, and they have really a different lifestyle expectation. The earlier millennials do not see themselves in houses just yet. Uh, the later millennials, you know, are considering it, operative bird considering it. Uh, but then, of course, too, you look at the rising cost of housing, uh, just single-family homes in general. Uh, do you want to have that kind of responsibility? Can you afford that type of responsibility given, you know, other things like we've often read about in terms of student debt and things like that? So it really, you know, um, plays out that we see, um, you know, more of a demographic that is moving to the rental type of market per se, much more astute. Like you point out, the young lady that you're bringing up is an example, much more astute in terms of their consumer buying, but at the same time, uh, it puts an added uh, focus on the industry to be able to respond to that. Yeah, it sure does. Well, Doug, great information as usual, sir. Thank you for joining us. You bet. Thanks, Mike, for the opportunity. You have a great day. Thanks, you too. Well, stay with us. We'll have more on the multifamily market. I'm Michael Bull. This is America's Commercial Real Estate Show. like to be the top producing commercial broker in your office? Check out Michael Bull's video training. Since you're a show listener, you receive 10% off your first purchase. At checkout, use discount code CREshow. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com. Welcome back to America's Commercial Real Estate Show. I'm Michael Bull. This segment is brought to you by my company, BullRealty.com. Check it out for customized asset and occupancy solutions. Well, today we're talking about multifamily. Please welcome my next guest. It's Paula Munger. She's AVP of Industry Research with the National Apartment Association. Paula, thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me, Michael. So, Paula, one of the things that... Uh, we're seeing in the news and, and people are talking about uh, is uh, rent control today. Uh, as you guys are uh, kind of talking to and, and, and leading and, and rubbing elbows with all the apartment owners around the country, how much is that a, of a concern to uh, the apartment industry today? It's a big concern. So when Oregon passed its 7% cap plus inflation earlier this year, we hired a company to, to look at the impacts of rent control with a 7% cap. And while that may not sound, while that might sound generous, the fear is that it starts at 7% and then it keeps getting lower and lower and lower until, until owners of properties have very little room um, to increase their net operating income. So this company modeled impacts of rent control, and we're about to release that research in a few weeks, and it looked at four pilot markets, Seattle, Portland, Chicago, and Denver, and it looked at the impact on the number of units that will not be built going forward with rent control, the number, the amount of maintenance expenditures that will decrease annually, which could impact the supply because those properties might fall into disrepair. The, and the amount of values that properties will decrease, that properties will lose 
and then ultimately that will show up in fewer property tax revenues for municipalities. So it's a big deal and our members are very concerned. So at the end of the day, it tends to potentially backfire um, and not to produce the results that were, that were intended. Exactly, it actually ends up with the prices and the, and the properties that are not rent controlled those rents increase, and then it just adds to the affordability problem. And again, some of the properties that are that are naturally occurring affordable, affordable properties, if those don't have maintenance expenditures, like I said, you know, some of those might be facing obsolescence, and that's not a good thing when we're struggling to keep up with demand right now. Well, I guess if they're going to cap uh, the gross rents, uh, they're also capping our expenses, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's certainly we certainly don't see that in property yeah. taxes. Our yeah. most recent income and expenses survey showed property taxes increasing. They are now the number one cost for an owner operator, and uh, personnel is second. So, so is there also a thought that if they're doing it in California and they're and doing rent control and rent control in New York State, that pretty soon other states are really wanting to adopt the same thing? Yeah, exactly, and that's why we had the research done for, for markets that we started before Portland passed it, but markets that don't necessarily have it but are looking strongly at it. So Illinois, certainly, Colorado's another one, and then um, Washington State as well. So, Paula, if uh, listeners and viewers uh, would like to utilize the research that uh, you guys have done there to maybe share with, with their politicians, how, how might they access that? Uh, well, the rent control research is, is not published yet, but it will be by mid-November. But we also have a, a very good piece that is used with legislators called the Barriers to Apartment Construction. And that looks at, it ranks 58 markets by how difficult and, and easy it is to build new apartments. And that's on our website at naahq.org under research. Okay. And then the outcome of uh, rent control, that uh, might be on there by mid-November? Yes. On the site as well. Okay, and let's talk about that barrier to, to new supply because, you know, it, that construction costs have gone up and obviously that's going to curtail supply in some cases. But a lot of municipalities, they don't really want them uh, in their backyard, right? Exactly, yeah. So we, we conducted a survey and we had a 42% response rate from the, or 42% of the responses were from the private sector, the rest were from the public. And it was interesting to me because both sides recognized the problem of nimbyism. So even people on the public side, these are people in city planning departments who are saying, we have a problem with this. And we have to go through, usually it's a lot of local council, not just council meetings, but community meetings one after the other, and that just adds to the timeline of the project and, of course, adds to the cost as well. So even in markets where it's fairly easy to build, we saw um, that nimbyism was one of the greatest factors that, that impedes things moving forward. And the respondents in this survey about barrier to entry for apartment construction, was it, uh, what were the main things? Was it the, the zoning and, and uh, getting the permits, or was it more kind of cost-related uh, to impact fees and, and things like that? Yeah, it, it's both. So certainly land costs and land availability were a, a big problem. 
followed by construction costs. I mean, we've been hearing that for years now, but it's true. There's still a shortage of labor on the construction side, and certainly those salaries are, are moving up further than your, your than the wages in other industries. So the costs are big, as well as the, again, the nimbyism and just the whole complexity. There's, there's some markets, we, we broke them out by market, obviously, because everything's just so local, but some just have a very non-transparent um, system. And that makes it really difficult to plan and really difficult to, to stay within budget on a project. Yeah, it does. We're talking with Paula Munger with the National Apartment Associations about multifamily. And, and Paula, there's been a, a great run for the multifamily world as far as uh, occupancy and rates and, and growth in the market. And uh, some people do wonder, is this, is this going to continue? And, uh, you know, when you look at census data, when you look at future demand generators, yeah, what do you see? We see, we see continued strength. I mean, everyone's being cautious, obviously. There's, there's a lot of talk of a downturn and when it's going to start and how severe it's going to be. But we see the demographic fundamentals are so strong. The census just released some data showing growth in renter households. That was after we had seen an increase in the homeownership rate and so obviously a decline in renter households. But 18 looked good. 19 is looking good in terms of growth in renter households. And the other thing they just released was um, household income. And we saw for all households, income growth was basically flat in 2018, but it increased by 6.1% for renters. So I think, and also you see a lot of stories on there's more and more higher income households, and this just points to that. So we see a good, um, strong demand. People are choosing it rather than it being a stepping stone to, stepping stone to home ownership, and that's continuing. I think we're starting to see it in the data, especially in census data. Yeah, well, that that's great because it you know, it seems like affordability could be one of the issues for the the apartment industry, right? As all these construction costs and barrier to entry is increasing, you know, we've got uh, uh, households that maybe can't afford some of these rents. So it's good to see. Uh, an income increase for these tenants because is is affordability uh, a concern for apartment owners today? Yes, definitely. And and just to note that while we saw good income growth in in um, 2018, it was stagnant for so long that it's it's going to take a lot more than one year of growth to make up for the the disparities in a lot of markets in terms of, of rent versus income. But yeah, our, our owners and operators, our members, are concerned about affordability and concerned about, you know, we talk about the development costs, but it's just operating costs. It's, those costs are going up every year. Our last survey showed they went up by nearly 10%. So um, that's, that's a big issue. So it's, it's hard to keep control of those costs and, and not um, pass some, at least some of that on um, through in rent. Yeah, and so that... Uh 10% in increase. Uh, I guess a lot of that could have been property taxes. Where, where are they seeing the most increases in their expenses? Yeah, definitely property tax. Um, so in, we've been doing this survey for over 20 years. And in 2013, property tax surpassed personnel and salaries as the 
um, greatest expense for apartment owners and operators, and that just has steadily climbed. This past year, not surprisingly, there, you know, there's a labor shortage. That's also something we hear a lot about, but we did see personnel costs go up by about 5.5%, which is really well above the typical 3% wage growth we saw last year in other sectors. Yeah, okay. Well, Paula, we appreciate your time on the show today. What would you leave our audience with to, to think about the multifamily world moving forward? I think just continued, we're, we're looking to next year to be a continued year of growth, um, maybe moderate, maybe it will be moderate this year, where last year I thought was going to be moderate, but it's pretty strong, and just um, keeping ahead of some of these legislative issues that, that popping up that while they're well-intentioned, they often have unintended consequences. Right. Yeah. Very good point. And I'm glad you guys are there to, to help us in the industry. I grew up uh, in the industry and it's interesting you talk about uh, affordability. I remember we used to like to see that uh, a, ten a tenant's rent and utilities were like 25% of their, their income. And now those numbers have really expanded. I, I guess, uh, do you see some of that uh, with uh, uh, qualifying tenants out there? Yeah, we do see that, you know, there's, there's the, the measurements from census typically put it into more than 30% of income is mm -hmm. burdened and then severely burdened is more than 50% of income. Actually, and, and the good news with that though is the past few years we've been seeing that trending down a bit, but it still quite affects quite a few families out there um, that, are, that are paying more of their share um, of income on, on housing costs and other costs going up as well too. So it's, yeah. it's challenging. Yeah, it is challenging. And it's also interesting to see that uh, a lot of people are willing to give up a little bit larger percentage of their income for their housing because they want the convenience of living where they want to live, right? They want to live in these areas where maybe maybe you can walk and, and have transit and maybe they pay a little bit more, but their lifestyle is uh, much more to their liking. Exactly. And yeah. we see that with um, with amenities research we've done in the past as well. It's, it's community that's really important. They're willing to pay extra to feel part of a community and to socialize, to have social spaces. And certainly convenience is key. Anytime you can make a resident's life more easier, that's, that's a resident you're going to keep. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're bringing the market an $85 million kind of price range uh, Class A project. And it's in a mixed use and a redevelopment of an old mill. And all the tenants there get to walk outside and have a, have a lake and walking paths. And they get to have restaurants and get their hair done. I mean, you know, it's just everything is so convenient and it is a neat community. Well, Paula, great information as usual. Thank you for joining us on the show. Sure. Thank you. If you'd like more information from the National Apartment Association and Paula Munger, their website is naahq.org. And certainly go there if you want to help your politicians understand what rent control can actually do. It might uh, do the opposite of, of what they're thinking and the barrier to entry uh, for apartment construction also could be something interesting to share with your local politicians and leaders. So thank you for joining us on America's Commercial Real Estate Show. Uh, please share the show. Please let us know what you think and connect with us on your so favorite social media. I'm Michael Bull. Until next week, be sure you always lead, learn, and laugh and join us for America's Commercial Real Estate Show.
America's Commercial Real Estate Show is brought to you by Bull Realty. For customized asset and occupancy solutions, visit bullrealty.com. Commercial Agent Success Strategies, incredible training for commercial agents. Visit commercialagentsuccess.com.